Welcome again uh, to Southwinds this morning. I want to welcome you particularly uh, to our study of the book of Romans that we are in called the Gospel of God. And I want to invite you to get your Bibles out, open, turned on uh, to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which is our text for today. And I'll just let you know that today we're going to be doing some work. So very serious passage of scripture. Hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people also say, Amen. Amen. Well, today we get to talk about the wrath of God, and we don't talk about the wrath of God a lot. Uh, this is a word that we find in the Bible that uh, probably brings a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts to your mind, and maybe it concerns you whenever you read it. Maybe it confuses you. You hear God and you hear wrath in the same sentence, and you think, how could the God of love be a God of wrath? Maybe you wonder, isn't this just an idea that you know more primitive people like used to believe in? Isn't God's wrath, just something that certain people today use to threaten and coerce and manipulate. Maybe hearing about God's wrath takes you kind of personally to a place where anger has wounded you. See, we don't want to think about God's wrath, but here's the reality the Word of God does. The Word of God does. A.W. Pink, uh, a few years ago, wrote a book called The Attributes of God, and in this book he wrote this. A study of the concordance will show that there are more references in Scripture to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there are to love and tenderness. So that's the Bible, but maybe for us, we're still kind of like the... uh, hit Disney song, you know, from Encanto uh, a couple years ago. We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. We just don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about God's wrath. And maybe you're just wondering, can't we just skip this part? But the answer is, if we're going to be faithful to God, to God's word, no. No, we can't. And I want to tell you, just as we begin to get into this, the Bible clearly reveals that wrath is part of who God is. It's part of his glory. It's part of actually his goodness. And in Romans, Paul teaches us that wrath is crucial to the gospel. 
See, gospel means good news, but something's not really good news until first we understand the bad news, right? And I told you last week as we studied that Paul is making an argument in Romans. And last week, if you're here, you'll remember that Paul was celebrating the gospel. He's not ashamed of it, verse 16. He wants to tell everyone about it. Why? Because, verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. But why? Why does God need to reveal his righteousness? And in our passage today, Paul is going to begin an answer to that question in verse 18. Notice that little word for, F-O-R, for the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness. And the reason we need the gospel of God's grace in Jesus is because of the reality of God's wrath against our sin. To put it real succinctly, God's wrath is why we need the gospel. So let me explain uh, this morning what Paul is teaching. I wanna show you three truths about humanity. They're like universal truths or true about everyone. And, And they're truths in these verses 18 to 25 without which the gospel truly isn't good and without which the gospel actually doesn't make a lot of sense. So here's the first truth, really simply, we all are sinners. We all are sinners. Welcome to Southwinds. You're glad you came, right? That's where we're starting today. And you know, we, we, we live in this age that's just obsessed with identity. We're, we're all about establishing who we are. Gotta find ourselves, gotta know who we are. Paul says, apart from Christ, this is who we are. All of us, we're all sinners, It's true of everyone. It's reality about everyone apart from Christ. We're all sinners. Now, the Bible is so very clear that God in his goodness created us. We were created by God, for God, and he created us to live in relationship with him, to experience his love, to know his goodness. He made us to worship him and and serve him and then to share his goodness and his glory around the world with everyone. But the reality is, We have rebelled against God. We have rebelled from our very first parents, Adam and Eve, to every single person who's ever lived. The Bible teaches us that we are sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. The Bible tells us that we have, as a consequence, made God our enemy, and as a result, we live under his wrath. Now, We're gonna see this over the next few weeks, Um, but this is Paul's point in Romans 1, verse 18, all the way through the end of this chapter, through the end of chapter two, all the way to chapter three, verse 20. He is making the point, and you're gonna need to stay with the flow of it, that the entire world, everyone, is guilty of sin before God. Now today and next Sunday, we're gonna see Paul demonstrate that. He's gonna, he's gonna look at, maybe we can say it like this, Gentile-style sin, pagan sin. That's chapter one. In chapter two, Paul's gonna show us how sin manifests itself in religious people, in, in spiritual people. And then in chapter three, he's gonna bring it all together and he's gonna draw his conclusion. I want you to listen to part of that conclusion. We'll get there in more detail in a few weeks, but Romans 3 9 through 12 says this. This is Paul concluding an argument. He says, for we have already charged that all, everybody say all, All. that all 
both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's pretty comprehensive, right? That's all. That's all of us. We all are sinners. No one lives the way that God created us to live. We don't love God. We don't obey God. We don't love other people and serve other people selflessly. That's the indictment that Paul is beginning to lay out here in Romans 1 and taking it all the way through almost the end of chapter 3 that we are all sinners. We're all guilty before God of sin and rebellion. A few months ago, last October, um, I had to get a CAT scan. They put me inside this machine and it was kind of tight. They told me, don't move. Um, anyone get a little nervous right now? You kind of don't like that? I had to get this CAT scan. And, and, and I was thinking about it this week. What Paul is doing in Romans 1, 18 through 320 is, is kind of like a spiritual CAT scan. It's gonna be really uncomfortable. And it's gonna really expose a whole lot of things, expose reality. God is gonna look at us, at our hearts from every angle And he's gonna make a diagnosis that a lot of us still today don't wanna hear. And we're gonna be tempted to deny it. Some of us are gonna try to defend ourselves. Some of us are gonna ask for a second opinion. The thing you need to know as we get into this is accepting our condition is the only way we can be cured of it, right? See, doctors don't do CAT scans to make you feel bad about yourself. They, they do them to show you what's wrong so that you can find out how to fix what's wrong, right? And that's the reason why God is telling us that we're all sinners in these verses. He's telling us that so that we can receive the gospel so that we can be healed. Now, I want you to notice two things that Paul talks about uh, in these verses that characterize our, our sin, and it's important that you understand them both. The first is that all people everywhere have rejected God. We've rejected God. It's not an accident. It's not an oversight. Paul says that we intentionally suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness, verse 18. We, we suppress it. We, that's the word that says we're holding it down. We reject God and what God says and what God about who he is and what God says about how we are to live. This is gonna be a surprise to some of us, but this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God's obvious to this world. He's obvious. That's, that's what Paul says in verse 19. He says that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, God is an obvious reality. God has revealed himself in the created world. Now, theologians call that general revelation. That's contrasted with what God's word is, which is called special revelation. But God has revealed himself in the created order. Verse 20, Paul says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. God reveals himself through creation, Paul says. He's the one that spoke all of the universe into existence. He's the one that holds it all together. 
Psalm 19, one and two says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You see, creation is like God's megaphone declaring to all humanity, I am here, I am real, I am the ultimate reality. And you say, well, I don't think it's that clear. That's because you're a sinner. That's because you suppress the truth. That's because you don't wanna hear what creation is saying. And I'm not saying it just to you. That's really for every single person apart from God. This is the witness of the word of God. I listen to what uh, John Stott says in his Romans commentary. He says, the God who is in himself is invisible and unknowable has made himself both visible and knowable through what he has made. The creation is a visible disclosure of the invisible God, an intelligible disclosure of the otherwise unknown God. Just as artists reveal themselves in what they draw, paint, and sculpt, so the divine artist has revealed himself in his creation. This is what Paul was saying 2,000 years ago. And frankly, just be honest, we have a whole lot more evidence today than they did for the truth of his statement, right? I mean, just be honest with yourself about the things we know. You know, because of advances in science and technology, we understand a fine tuning of the universe. There are so many factors that they were just off just a little bit, just 1% here, just a, a micro percentage there, we'd all die. Life would not be possible. This is the evidence of a designer. We, we know the complexity of ecosystems. We know about the design of the human body in ways that they couldn't even conceive 2,000 years ago. And anyone who is not suppressing the truth, to them it will be clear that a powerful and good and intelligent being has created and has sustained the world. Some people say, well, I, I believe in science. Okay, you believe in science. And what Paul is saying here is if you just believe that something happened for no reason, you're just another person with another faith. You're actually demonstrating maybe more blind faith than we would as believers to say that. I, um, to think that this world, this universe just happened and it is just, you know, out of, out of this massive amounts of time and many, many chances just kind of came together. I mean, think about that. That's what our culture believes today. That requires far more faith. This is just one, one statement about one little aspect. I love this, this quote that a British author named Glenn Scrivener made a couple of years ago, and it's actually not in my notes, so I'm gonna get it approximately right, but he said, he said Christians believe in the virgin birth. Secularists, materialists, believe in the virgin birth of the universe, Choose your miracle. And if you want to believe that it all just happened, fine. But don't act as if this was, you know, a direct step out of your superior intelligence. It's faith. And the truth, Paul would say, is you are suppressing the truth that there is a God and that he created everything that exists and you know it down deep in your heart somewhere. 
because God has shown it to you. This is what Paul is, is saying here. We, we have rejected God. Romans uh, 2 is, is going to demonstrate, we're gonna see in a couple weeks, that not only creation, but also conscience about what's, what's inside here. We, we have this innate sense of right and wrong. All of us have. It points to a moral reality in, in the universe, and Paul says that moral reality is God. We could talk a long time about that, but put this together. What Paul is telling us is even though there's plenty of evidence for God, even though what can be known about God is clear and plain, that truth is suppressed. It is violently held down because of our sin. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to know it. See, left to our own, we always reject the truth about God. Left to our own, we despise this truth about God. We, we try to explain it away. We, we try to ignore it altogether. Humanity has rejected God. And in verse 21, Paul says this rejection of God manifests in two specific ways. Notice he says, we don't honor God. We don't give him his proper due. We don't esteem him, value him, worship him. And then he says, we don't second, give thanks to God. We just live entitled, self-absorbed, prideful lives. We think we got what we got because of us, and we don't realize it's all a gift. And then going on to verse 24, Paul says that they, they lusted in their hearts. They actually desired and pursued what God forbids. That humanity in our natural born condition is gonna live for sinful pleasure and it's going to end up unclean before God. That's our condition as human beings. We've rejected God and it's clear that there is a God, but we don't wanna know that. We suppress that truth and so we don't honor God. We don't give thanks to God. We live for ourselves, but Here's what you need to understand. This is so crucial. This is not all. We, we don't just reject God. That's the first thing. But Paul says, secondly, and this is the kind of bringing the full picture of our sin together. He said, all people everywhere have replaced God. We've replaced God. Verse 23 says, they exchange. You might want to underline or circle or uh, somehow highlight that word exchange. It's very crucial to what we're gonna to study today and also next week. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Then in verse 25, again, they exchanged. Everybody say exchanged. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so Paul says, we haven't just rejected God. We've actually replaced him. And he says, everybody does this. It's true for all of us apart from Christ. This is how we naturally live. It's inevitably where we go. And here's why. We have been created by God to worship him. We are worshiping creatures. In other words, maybe write this down and think about it. You cannot not worship. You will worship. Everybody worships. You're gonna worship something. God created your soul in such a way that it is always moving outward. It's always seeking to pour itself out in devotion to something. And so that means when you reject God, you don't get rid of God. You just replace him with someone or something else. Something else always is gonna have your love and your loyalty Something else 
always is going to have your trust. You will look to something other than God for security and significance and joy and in hope. And the Bible has a word for this. The Bible calls it idolatry. Everybody does it. You can't help it. You will do it. We all do it. See, we, we like to think that we're intelligent people, you know, that we have gone beyond, you know, the way people used to be, those primitive people back then, you know, those people who would worship idols, you know, they would bow down to, you know, to statues made of wood or maybe metal, gold or something like that, you know, but we wouldn't do that. You know, we, we bow down to that. Some of us bow down to what's in our back pocket, our wallets, right? And see, whatever idolatry is our form, whether it's a person, you know, like a celebrity. Have you ever wondered why some of us just get all kind of about, a cele- about celebrities, right? I mean, that's called idol worship. You know, they don't call it American Idol for nothing. That's kind of an interesting reason that was chosen. I mean, I don't think that's what they were thinking, but it tells us something. We, we have idols of celebrities, or maybe they're just idols of power like wealth or fame or influence. Some of you say, I don't do any of that. No, but you worship sex and pleasure. See, everyone you live with or work with is bowing down to something And in case you're not getting this, let me make it really plain. That person that you see when you look in the mirror each morning is also bowing down to something. We're all worshipers. And if it's not God, it's something else always. It's how we're made. Our hearts are always reaching out to something, asking something to save us, something to help us, something to satisfy us, something to make us feel loved or lovely. See, we worship whatever it is we think we need to feel alive because we can't help it. We can't help it. And in case you're feeling kind of superior because you know, you're like a spiritual person, there are even religion or religious versions of this where, where, where people claim to follow the biblical God, but because of sin, they craft their own version of God in their minds, and it's still really idolatry. Paul is saying here, look at verse 21 again, sin has darkened our hearts. Sin has made our minds futile, so we don't think, we don't reason clearly or truly, and that means when we make up versions of God, they're always messed up. They're always foolish. They're always wrong. When we make up who God is on our own, we never get it right. And so you end up imagining a God who always agrees with you. You end up imagining a God who always votes like you vote. You end up imagining a God whose job it is to give you the life you've always dreamed of. Your God wants you to feel good all the time. And you get mad at your God when you don't feel good because he's not doing his job. See, that's idolatry. And this is just the natural tendency of fallen human beings in our sinful state to reimagine God the way we like him. A few years ago, the author Patrick Morley put it like this. He said, there's a God we want and a God that is, and the two are not the same God. And here's what I want you to understand about all of this. This is all, every bit of it, it's insane, It's all insane. Verses 22 and 23, Paul says, claiming to be wise, thinking we're so smart, they became fools and exchanged the glory 
of the immortal God, the infinite God, the glorious, powerful, loving, beautiful God, the God who created all the the magnificent beauty in this world, that God, that immortal, great God. We want to trade him in for an image. Images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God, maybe sometimes for statues, maybe other times for dollar bills and politics and certain people and sexual pleasures. And this is the way human beings have always done it. This is nothing new. Listen to how God speaks to his people back in Jeremiah. Uh, This is chapter two, verses 11 through 13. And and God's people who are engaged in idolatry, and and it says this, has a nation ever changed their, it's God's? So he's talking about the pagan people and he says, yet they're not God's at all, but they keep their God's. But my people have exchanged, there's that word, their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We had glory, glory. We had a spring of living water that always satisfied, but we'd rather have a cistern that we dig ourselves. I did it myself, right? Yeah, that's why it's cracked. That's why it leaks. You did it yourself. You're DIY God. That's why that water you're drinking is dirty and disease-ridden. That, that's why you're always down there at the bottom of your cistern. You're trying to scoop up water out of the mud and trying to satisfy your soul, and it never works, does it? But we say in our sin, that's what kind of God we want. And God says, yeah, that's what sin is. We're born this way. We reject God. We replace God. We cannot help it unless someone else comes in with a cure. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's in his, his great classic book, Mere Christianity. Here's what he said. All that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That explains the world, doesn't it? Paul just sums up the reason the world is the way it is in verse 18 when he says it's ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is we disregard God, devalue God. Unrighteousness is we disobey God and it it leads to our alienation and our disintegration and all the hatred and all the violence that is in the world. It's who we are. We're all sinners. We've all rejected and replaced God And that's why Paul tells us the second truth. We all deserve God's wrath. It's just getting better, okay? (laughs) We all deserve God's wrath. And wrath is the natural consequence of our sin. Paul says we're under God's wrath. We have no excuse for rejecting and replacing him. Now, part of our trouble with this entire subject of wrath is we don't understand it. And so I want to clarify it for us today. Wrath, God's wrath is not an outburst of anger. 
It's not cruelty. It's not your angry dad. God's wrath is God's holy, settled opposition to sin and injustice. God's wrath is actually a fruit of his holiness and his goodness. Now, you're gonna have to think about this, I'm sure, but wrath is actually a revelation of God's love. I want you to just ponder for a moment all the evil in this world that your heart cries out against. Think about all the injustice. Think about the violence. Think about the abuse. Doesn't it make you angry? It should. Do you ever get angry with certain people when they, they won't do something, when they could do something to make it right? See, when that happens, I'm telling you, listen to me, your heart is longing for the wrath of God. You're angry, you're longing for justice. You want God to do something. And we, we say we don't like God's wrath, but just think about this. What kind of God would God be if he were indifferent to evil and injustice? Even, even our own. God would not be good. I mean, if he turned a blind eye to evil, if he didn't respond justly to it, how could he be a good God? Back in the 60s, two psychologists, John Darley and Bib Latane, coined this term, bystander apathy. But then they were describing what they call this the puzzling, often horrifying inaction of witnesses to intervene in, in these terrible crimes and tragedies. Maybe, maybe you remember a story it happened 10 years ago. Two high school players assaulted a 16-year-old girl at a party, high school football players. Everyone at the party watched it, and they recorded it, and, and then they posted it online. It was a national scandal, and we kind of yawn at that now because the internet is filled with that kind of stuff, isn't it? Videos, of viral videos of people being attacked and people just standing around filming it, watching, not doing anything about it. We don't want to live in a world like that, do we? we? We hate a world like that, and so does God. That's why he expresses wrath against sin. God, the God of heaven, he sees sin, and he is not apathetic. He is not a bystander. He will not do nothing. He is God, and he will act, and he will act in goodness and justice. He will act in righteousness, and he will act in wrath. God's wrath, just get clear, is not a character flaw. It's actually a fruit of his holy and good and just and loving character. In Romans 2, 5, we're gonna see in a couple weeks that God's wrath is something that's future. So there's a future element to wrath. Uh, Paul says, but because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will revealed. In other words, one day there is gonna come a future final and uh, forever day of wrath when God will judge people for their sins. And on that day, there will be no excuse. And every time a person rejects God today, every time they persist in their sins, if they don't ever repent, if they don't turn to God, they are storing up wrath wrath for themselves on that future day. So wrath is future, but that's not all. Wrath is also present. Go back to verse 18. Look at that again. Did you notice this? Paul says, for the wrath of God, what? Is being revealed. Like he's saying, and this is the Greek text, 
It's present tense. It's happening right now. We, we need to think about that. If you look around the world, Paul is saying the wrath of God, you're gonna see it in action that God's wrath right now is being poured out. In other words, humanity is getting like a foretaste of this God's coming wrath. And I want you to notice two ways that, that God's wrath manifests. Paul is talking about them here. The first one is this, the present wrath of God is revealed in, in humanity's alienation from God. In fact, that's, what ultimately eternal judgment is. It's eternal alienation from God and all that's good and beautiful and lovely. And right now, Paul says, right now, today, in our present condition, apart from the grace of God, humanity is alienated from God, cut off from God's presence. And here's what happens when we reject God and replace God with other gods. We forfeit a relationship with him. We're alienated from him. We, we, we choose to live outside of his love and his care and his favor, and we put ourselves under his judgment. And because we're alienated, we become slaves to sin. We're alienated from God. That's why you feel like you feel when you're living apart from God, because it's not how you were made to be and live. But there's more. Paul says the second, present, the, second the present wrath of God uh, reveals itself in humanity's moral disintegration. Notice what he says in verse 24, what happens when we refuse uh, to turn back to God and we persist in going away from him. It says in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. In other words, God gives people who reject him what they want. That's their lust. It's just a word for desires. And when he gives them what they want, it, it leads to impurity and it results, did you notice the phrase, it results in the dishonoring of their bodies. We're gonna look at verses 26 to 32 uh, next week. I want you to notice just a couple of uh, things we're gonna see in more detail. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up, there's these, this phrase again, to dishonorable passions. Then verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, one of the present manifestations of God's wrath is he gives us what we want. This is what I want, God. God says, okay. God says, I'm gonna remove my divine restraints that are there to protect you. I'm gonna let you follow your heart and live out your deepest desires. I'm handing you over to yourself. And you're gonna see the result of your sin in intensifying ways in your own heart and life. And when that happens, people forge their own chains and they live as slaves to their own sinful desires. There is this disintegration, this falling apart that begins to take hold in their lives. Sin pulls them down, down, down into the dishonoring of their bodies. And you need to write this down. Sin and idolatry always brings us dishonor. Always. Do you see? The, the greatest dignity of a human being is that we are made and we are wanted by God, the creator. That's the greatest dignity you have. But in our natural condition of sin, we don't want God and we move farther away from our maker. When that happens, we are in a sense unmade. We're not discovering who we are. We're actually falling apart. 
We, we drift away from our highest honor. Paul is saying our bodies are made to be vessels of honor. And when we give ourselves to sin, turning away from God, God turns us over to that. We end up becoming vessels of dishonor. It's only when we move closer to God that we move into what we are made to be, loving and righteous and secure and joyful and self-accepting and peaceful. Any move away from God is always a move down. It's always a loss. It's always a diminishing of who God made you to be. It's like you're going against the grain of what God designed you to do. When you do that, you disintegrate. We, we fall apart. God meant for our lives and bodies to be vessels of honor for beauty and for great eternal purposes. But in our bondage of sin, we give that all up and we become vessels of dishonor. And Paul is really describing all of this as kind of this mental and moral insanity. Our foolish hearts are darkened. Our hearts become futile. We claim to be wise. We become fools. I was talking to someone in recovery one time and they said, sin will make you stupid. And all God's people said, because we all know that, right? Who here has been stupid at least one time in your life, right? And you know what's really stupid? We do it again, right? You said, that was so stupid. And then tomorrow you wake up and you think, oh, we'll try that one more time. Why? Because sin will make you stupid. That's what Paul is, is telling us. God's wrath is revealed in this moral a degeneration of a person who finds themselves in addiction and bondage. They keep giving themselves over and over to sin. And as this happens, God, God's plan is to bring those people to the end of themselves. And, and this is what should happen. It's what begins to happen. You know, God's wrath is also revealed in the moral corruption of a culture. And I want you to think about this because I think we get this wrong. It is not simply that the sins of a culture will bring about the wrath of God, but that the sins of a culture are the wrath of God. Why is all this happening around us? And church, let's don't worry about the people out there. Why is our culture the way it is? If we get honest with ourselves, we have to say a big part of the reason is us. We haven't loved God with all our heart, souls, and mind, and strength. We have pursued idols. We have sought our satisfaction in other things. And that's part of the reason why, why we, we see what is happening and what is happening. God God is giving people over to their lust what they want. He's allowing sin to have its way. And see, the Bible is teaching us if someone persists in that place and dies in that condition, not only will they experience the present wrath, but also the future and eternal wrath of God. So here's our CAT scan. This is what God's truth reveals, that we are rebellious sinners by nature, by choice. We have rejected God. We have replaced God and therefore, we are under the wrath of God, both future and present. And again, God doesn't tell us this because he takes some kind of perverse pleasure in it. Just like no doctor shows a patient the results of a CAT scan to mock them, 
It's just to reveal reality so that we can find a cure, and that's what God is doing here. And so the last thing that I want you to see is the third thing. We all have only one hope, and that's the gospel, one hope. The only hope for this bad news is the good news of the gospel. I'm just gonna go back to the beginning of this passage in Romans 1.18. It says, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's why we need verse 17. Do you notice verse 17 has this word revealed? Verse 18 has this word revealed. Paul is linking these two together. They are, they are together in the gospel. Verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And we saw this last Sunday that God's righteousness is being revealed as something God is and also as something God gives, that God looks on sinful humanity like us. And in his love and mercy and grace, he declares us righteous through faith in his son. And that's the good news. That's the gospel, that we can be rescued from this wrath. We can have our chains broken. We can begin to live in dignity and honor again the way God has always intended us to be. The good news, the good news is that Jesus, God's son, has come and he has taken God's wrath for us. The sinless one took on our sin. The righteous one took on our unrighteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And God the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son, the wrath we deserved. Jesus took our sin on himself. God gave him over to wrath. And at the cross, Jesus stood in our place so that through faith, we could stand before him forever righteous. What a beautiful picture. Jesus in love, bearing our wrath, taking our sin so we could have his righteousness and know God's acceptance. And that's why it's gonna be a while from now, a few months down the road, we're gonna get to Romans 8, 1, one of the best verses in the whole Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And does it say, notice, does it say for those who will try harder? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who will go to church and promise God, God, I'll never do that again, what I did last night. No. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus took God's wrath for you. He bore God's condemnation for your sin for you. And he did it all because he loved you so that you could, by faith, receive his righteousness and be adopted and accepted into the family of God. That's the good news, friends. That's the gospel. The gospel restores us to God and and when we receive the good news and get restored and get this new life and get in a relationship with God, we begin to come back to the place of moral and mental sanity. Our lives don't disintegrate, they begin to integrate and they are now ordered and they begin to be more whole. That's the gospel. You see, in the end, the wrath of God is good news because it takes us to the good news 
in the end, the wrath of God is actually an invitation. It's an invitation, a call from a holy God to a lost, dying world that God the Father so loves, a call to come and be saved, to turn from wrath and to receive grace, to turn from death and to receive life. This is God's invitation to us today. We all are sinners apart from Christ. And apart from Christ, we all deserve wrath. And that's why we all have only one hope. And that hope is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you receive that hope today? If you have already received that hope, will you praise God for that hope today? Will you leave this place rejoicing more in that hope than when you came in? God is good, right? All the time and all the time, God is good. He loves us. That's why he wants us to be saved from his wrath. Let's bow our heads and pray. If you are here today and you are not in relationship with God, then our invitation to you as those who have experienced God's grace is to call you to that grace as well. You need to be saved. God's word tells us, and it's such a beautiful promise, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, that's you. And so if you've never done this before, just tell him right now where you're sitting, God, I know I've sinned. I know I deserve your judgment. And I believe that Jesus bore that judgment for me on the cross. And so I turn to Jesus and I trust Jesus. Jesus, be my savior. And if you pray that, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be saved today. Maybe you are a Christ follower, but you've been chasing your own desires and you realize as you hear this word today from God that it's led to alienation. Maybe even you're seeing this disintegration that always comes into our lives from sin. And maybe today you need your sanity restored to you. Just turn and repent. Confess your sin. Receive God's forgiveness. His grace is so good, it's greater than your sin. God, whatever you are doing in this moment, wherever you are speaking, whatever you are telling each of us, Lord, give us the grace to respond with a yes to you. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,